Good afternoon. My name is Angela So, and I'm a covenant, men <laughs> covenant member at The Well. Uh, my husband, Chris, and I host the Cedar Park Whitestone CG. <laughs> I'll be reading Psalm 96 in Korean. 새 노래로 여호와께 노래하라. 온 땅이여 여호와께 노래할지어다. 여호와께 노래하여 그 이름을 숭축하며 그 구원을 날마다 선판할지어다. 그 영광을 열방 중에 그 기이한 행적을 만민 중에 선포할지어다. 여호와는 광대하시니 극진히 찬양할 것이요. 모든 신보다 경위할 것이며 만방의 모든 신은 헛것이요. 여호와께서는 하늘을 지으셨음 이로다. 존귀와 위엄이 그 앞에 있으며 능력과 이름다움이 그 성서에 있도다. 만방의 족속들아 영광과 권능을 여호와께 돌리지어다. 여호와께 돌리지어다. 여호와의 이름을 합당한 경광을 그에게 돌리지어다. 예물을 가지고 그 중정에 들어갈지어다. 아름답고 그 거룩한 것으로 여호와께 경배할지어다. 온 땅이여 그 앞에서 떨지어다. 열방 중에서는 이르기를 여호와께 서통치하시니 세계가 국계에서도 흔들리지 못할지라 저가 만민을 공평히 판단하시리라 할지로다. 하늘을 기뻐하고 땅을 즐거워하며 바다와 거기 충만한 것이 위치며 밭과 그 가운데 모든 것을 즐거워할지로다. 그리할 때에 삼림의 나물들이 여호와 앞에서 즐거, 즐거이 노래하리니 저가 임하시되 땅을 판단하려 임하실 것이니라 저가 의로 세계를 판단하시며 그의 진실함 하심으로 백성들을 판단하시리로다. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good afternoon, church. Uh, you are the Labor Day Saints. You have made it. Hey, give yourselves a hand for being here like Stephanie said. Way to go. It's not just Labor Day. You could be doing a lot of other things in Austin. It's also 4 p.m. in the afternoon on a Sunday, which means nap time, right? So thank you for being here. Uh, I know, as, as Stephanie mentioned, there is no accident that God has brought you here for a reason. And so I'm personally excited to, to wrap up our Partners in the Gospel series with you as we just really get to look in how does it uh, that we as a church in Austin, Texas, actually partner with the nations of the world? How does that even make sense? And so we're going to look at that together today, but I'm confident God really wants you here. Go, actually, tell your neighbor, God wants you here. God wants you here. We're going to have a good time. We only got one gathering, so the clock don't matter, right, Tori? So here we go. You got the missions guy and one gathering. I don't know how we're going to stay on that time, but hey, here we go. Uh, we've been in the uh, Partners in the Gospel series. We've heard from Tori. We've heard from uh, Grant, one of his friends. Uh, Chris Henry, one of our elders. Give it up for Chris. Where's Chris at? 
We got Josh Guerrero came and joined us. We've, we've heard from different voices that we partner with here in, in the States. And, and now we're going to look at what it looks like in the nations. But under our distinctive of reach the nations is kind of what we're doing today together. And we want to partner relationally is what I want to echo. And that you would gather from this today is that there's people that the well is partnering with that you probably can't pronounce their names, Right. But we are part of the same body, that we're a part of the same kingdom. We have the same king, and his name is Jesus. Amen? So we're going to partner relationally with people to see the gospel spread and to see churches planted among the nations. And so that includes churches and organizations that are focused on church planting. And so you might not know who Ziad is. Uh, you probably don't, okay? You don't know who Caleb is. You don't know who Saher is. You don't know who Ayub is. That's okay. They're part of your family, and you're going to get to know them. As we grow to worship Jesus together, your heart's affection for them is only going to grow through God's word. That, that's really my prayer for us today. In fact, sometimes when you see the missions guy get up and you're like, hey, they're going to try to recruit me to go to the nations. Absolutely. But what we're also going to try to do is not recruit people for the sake of people, but that we would actually just worship Jesus first. And if you can worship Jesus in that relationship, that vertical relationship of praise is present in your life, then you're going to desire to proclaim the gospel horizontally. Without this praise to Jesus, there's no reason, there's nothing you have to declare. There's actually nothing that you would know to be grateful for. But if you're praising him, just like we sang, Jesus be the sinner, if he's the sinner of your life, you will care about the nations. I'm, I'm confident. We got that? Man, we're going real missions today. We go to old school? We got it. We got it. Thank you. Give it up for Austin in the back there. Thank you, brother. Well, I want to get started and just give you a little backdrop of why I haven't seen many of you in a long time. Uh, we were actually overseas this summer. And so first up, you got Team Watson right there. That was a great, a great day back in May. So we left May, got back July. It was, it was a good time. And um, you see Lucy there and Laura. And yes, four of those bags have goldfish, diapers, and pouches. And parents... You know what I mean. And so we actually had teams bring us pouches and goldfish in other countries that we went to. It was great. So thank you, Well, for caring for us in, in that way. Um, but we had a blast. Uh, in fact, I'm more in love with my wife after this summer and more in love with Jesus after this summer and more in love with my daughter after being on mission together as a family and getting to experience that together. Uh, seeing, if you want to just like praise your spouse and bless them, just watch them and how they're going to handle taking a toddler to like six countries. That's a great way to test, you know, hey, do they really love Jesus? Yes, they do. Wow, I am humbled by your presence. Um, it's also cool to see the world and the nations through Lucy's almost two-year-old eyes. And how there was nobody that really was a barrier for her to love on. This is by far my most sentimental and now valued picture. I'll print a 24 by 36 of this in the office, Paul. Um, but this is Lucy just doing what she saw. She's a part of the mission of God, and she's joining in just praying. And she prays, and she kind of babbles. I think she speaks in tongues, but that's okay. But <laughs> we get to experience this is a family together. And, and I'll be honest with you and just kind of confess as we're starting out the message that it was easier to set up a travel pack and play in crib overseas than it is when you came back to the States. 
We came back and our apartment was not ready. God bless Austin, Texas. So we've stayed at 14 different places from July until this past Wednesday. Thank you well, family. Give yourselves a hand. You know who you are. Thank you, Trails, right there, many of you. It's cool to experience that, but I'll be honest, it's hard to do that and be on the road in that way. And it's really, I think, applies to a lot of us. I'm just sharing for me personally, but several people asked like, kind of questions that were a little weird, like not just how's your trip, which don't ask somebody that if they've been on a trip like this. Um, they asked, what's it like taking your kid to the Middle East? Isn't that dangerous? Isn't that stupid? It's not very helpful. Um, or, man, you guys are awesome. I wish I could be more like you. It's also, you know, what do I, what do, I do with that? But again, it's easier to be on mission there than it is here because I'm thinking of first world entitlement when I get back here. I'm supposed to have a place. I'm supposed to do this as a dad, as a husband. But when I compare what Jesus has done for me, my sacrifices don't just become small. They become like trash. I I love this quote by Amy Carmichael. She says, she's a missionary. She said, when I consider the cross of Christ, how can anything that I do be called sacrifice? Man. Like, whatever we could do and think, man, we're doing this for God, it's just trash. And if that doesn't make you fall more in love with Jesus, then it's because you're valuing what you're doing more than Jesus himself. And that's my constant battle in prayer is, God, I don't want to care about what I'm doing or how I'm looking. I want you to get the glory. And if that is our heart and that's our posture, the cross becomes greater and we continue to become less and less. And so we're going to really think about how we feel towards missions and how we think and how we feel often comes back to the Psalms for me. And so we're going to be in Psalm 96 today, if you want to turn there with me today. And it begins with singing a new song. Some of y'all ready to sing a new song, okay? Maybe you're ready seriously to sing a new song out of depression. Maybe you've lost a job recently. Maybe you've experienced hurt. Maybe there's stuff that you just don't feel like you can tell anybody about, not even God, and you're tired of the season that you're in. Well, David's reminding his people to sing a new song, not just for them individually, but them corporately. Uh, It's time to sing a new song after COVID. It's time to sing a new song as families. It's time to sing a new song as a church. We're hopeful in this. And so one of the coolest things about this psalm is it's all about giving God the glory. But it is really a psalm about hope. Because if you can sing this, you're hopeful. And you might not be hopeful when it's coming out of your mouth. You might not be hopeful when you walk in here on a Sunday afternoon to start singing Jesus at the center. Because Jesus might not be the center of your heart and your world when you walk here and here at 4 p.m. on Labor Day. But he can be, and you're asking God, hey, through my lifting up of my voice to you, would you draw my heart to you? As I read the Psalms, would you teach me how to love you? And so as we look at this together, we get to sing a new song, knowing that one day we will sing a very new song in heaven together. That every tribe, tongue, and nation will be there, and that we will have proclaimed the gospel to every people group, and that we are standing at the throne of God, worshiping him because he is worthy. Our worship and God's mission to reach the nations are inseparable. You can't have one without the other. Our affections call us to purpose. Our worship calls us into mission. One of the major themes of the Psalms is is really the nations and, and teaching that we get to think and feel about, hey, this is one of God's biggest aims. This is one of God's biggest goals. This is what God cares about. 
And when we say nations, we're not talking about flags, okay? We're not talking about uh, the parade of flags at the Olympics. Anybody a big Olympics fan? Raise your hand if you love the Olympics. There we go, right there, Natalie. Winter or summer? Both, both. All right, let's do this together. Winter or summer on three? One, two, three. Summer. Summer clearly won. God bless you. And I just got to say, in the new kingdom, you're not going to have that shirtless guy from Tonga carrying his flag, okay? And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, please don't Google that. Okay. It's not about flags. It's about people, about tribes, tongues, languages. And in the Psalms, we get to see that this is actually repeated in the Bible 145 times, the word nations. The word nation, 336 times. This ethne, this call to people. But you see throughout the Psalms, and they're just listed some of them here for you, there is this over and over and over again, we see, just like we see in, uh, in Psalm 96, one through three, we see this sing, this declare, this over and over. And so Psalm two says this, I will make the nations your heritage. Psalm 22, and the nations of the earth shall remember and the families of the nations shall worship before you. Psalm 46.10 might be familiar to you. It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Psalm 18.49 for this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. Psalms 48.10, as your name, O God, so praise reaches the ends of the earth. Psalm 57.9, I will sing praises to you among the nations. Psalm 71.15, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts and your deeds of salvation all the day. Do you see a theme here? He cares deeply about the nations. We cannot separate the singing to God in this corporate gathering and the sharing of the gospel in the nations. They're one and the same because they remind us of our purpose. When we hear stories of what God's doing in the nations, it should fill us with praise and worship. In fact, that's, how, that's really how I hope we end today, that we would encourage and really refresh each other's souls that Tori mentioned a few weeks ago in the Partners with the Gospel, that we would really build each other up as we listen to what God's doing. At the same time, we need to worship. We need to come in here prepared. As Stephanie mentioned, what are you going to give when you come to the gathering? You might have the worst voice in here. Are you going to give it to God? What could he do with a few loaves and a few fish? What can he do with your voice? What can he do miraculously to make your what might seem like insignificant voice matter in the kingdom of God? Your voice might push back darkness in the nations. You being here present on Labor Day weekend might encourage somebody to go share the gospel in the nations. Don't minimize what God's allowed you to be a part of already. See, the connection of worship and proclamation also reveals God's heart for those people. One of the biggest privileges of the summer and, and really of my life is to encourage underground church leaders um, in, in the nations. And so this picture here is of us meeting with the underground church. And, and I want to ask you, do not take pictures of this. I want to highlight this specifically. There are people from China, Korea, Morocco, America, and Mexico in the same room worshiping Jesus in North Africa. Do you think that pleases Jesus? When I showed up there to talk, they asked, Adam, would you, would you give a sermon? Yes. So I'm, I'm prepared. I've got one sermon. And some of y'all know where this is headed. 
So I do what I'm trying to do here with you, 45 minutes. All right, I'm done. Let's pray. Game, game over. I said, thank you so much. What else do you have? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, thank God I got my iPad. We're going to scroll. One more hour. Okay, that, that better be good. You know, what, what else do they want? This is good. I, I, don't, I don't feel inadequate to bring the gospel to these people. They're devouring the word right in front of me. I say, that's good. Let's take a break. And we did it again. We ate a meal. We stayed and we talked and we prayed and encouraged each other. And getting to be a part of this urgency for the gospel is such a humbling thing to be a part of. And I've got to think about this as well. All these unreached people groups, people where the gospel has not been. If I had sat there and not said a word, one, how awkward would that be? But two, how would the gospel be proclaimed? If we think, man, let's just send money to unreached people groups. Who are you sending it to? There's no believers there. If you think, man, if I can just go and, and be a good person near these people. If I can just, you know, preach the gospel always and use words when necessary. How will the gospel be proclaimed? See, this connection between word and praise and singing and declaring and telling of his salvation is your words matter. James 3 tells us that our words, that the tongue has the power to give life or to give death. And I just want to encourage you, you, it's not too late. If you're breathing in this room, your words can give life. You can give life. And so I, I just want to say, man, this is such a beautiful picture of what God is doing. The nations are singing a new song and we're learning from it. We're getting to be a part of it. And, and it doesn't mean that you have to be a pastor or a missionary or anything like that. You can be a part of what God is doing in the nations. In fact, I love this next picture. And yes, I got a fresh cut between those two pictures. These guys right here are some of the best dentists in all of North Africa. And they've chosen to move some from the U.S. and some from their home country to be there to be able to share the gospel. They live there. It's called business as missions. They're working there, using the gifts God has given them. And they're starting churches, and they're seeing God move in incredible ways. And yes, I did have a tooth fall out and had to go to their dentist's office, and so that's why that happened. And yes, I've got a lot of selfies. And so people that make fun of a, a dad taking selfies, when you need a PowerPoint, it's great, okay? And so don't hate on your dads for selfies. But I, I don't want you to miss what God is doing and what he's invited you to. Don't miss out. Be a part of it. If the nations are not on your heart, I wonder if worship is really on your heart. Because... The goal of the end of all things is that all the nations are welcome to worship him. If you've got things against people because they look different than you or they don't image God the way that you think they should, I don't know if worship is on your heart. If you're saying that you are better than anybody because of the way that you're worshiping, because of the way that you look, because of the flag, because of the nationalism you believe in, I think you're missing God's best. And I know that might sound harsh, but if it sounds harsh, then where are our priorities coming from? It's either from the word of God or, or it's not. 
And if you look at verse four in, in Psalm 96, we see this deeper it says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. It's kind of like David's just reminding you, hey guys, these little gods, those are people's idols. God actually made the heavens and he's above. Like he could have said he'd made the sea, he did this. He's literally saying he's above them. It only makes sense then if he's above all other gods that Jesus has all authority in heaven on earth given to him. It only makes sense then that he calls us to welcome all nations. It should also give us compassion for people when we look at verse five. They don't know him because the gospel has not been shared with them, many of them. And we get to then share the gospel with people who do not get to experience this. And worthless idols are, are dead. And it's easy to, to think about these things and say, man, these things, these idols they worship, they're sticks and stones and how foolish that is. But they're simply below God and they're clearly substitutes for his splendor, for his beauty, for his glory. And I want you to look at this next picture because for me, it's actually one of the most convicting pictures from my whole summer. It's the earliest statue, an idol that was ever worshiped in Jericho, okay? And this is at a museum. It's not like we found this on the side of the road, okay? We're up against the glass taking that picture. And I look at that, I'm like, that looks like a stupid piece of concrete off the side of the road. And it is. And it's been fashioned to look like, what do you think it was supposed to look like? The image of a king, image of self, image of a person. And they worship that idol. And you might like, you know, be looking at that and say, hey, that's kind of stupid. And I would agree with you. But then I would love to point out your idols 5,000 years from now. And when you're in eternity looking back and seeing how much approval you tried to seek from people, in your idol of saying, man, if I, if I just have enough money, then I'll, I'll be okay, God. Your idol of your image and saying, man, I, I really am gonna look good. Guys, this is what we look like 5,000 years from now. And to think, man, what idols do I need to lay down? David actually calls them worthless. And so this idea of worthless idols, we are not exempt. In fact, I would encourage you to just reflect on that in community groups, what idols you need to give up so that you can properly give God worship. Another place that was really idolatrous and something that we had to really battle with in a lot of spiritual warfare is this place called Kirwan. And this is the oldest university in the world. It is the oldest training center for Muslim imams in the world. And the darkness there is just palpable. And we realized after talking to the one missionary family out of 1.5 people in this city, there's only one family, and we got to visit him, encourage him, we realized there's Islam here, but there's actually dark magic. They're making sacrifices outside of this place. And the idols of power and the devotion that these people have is just staggering, and it, it should break our hearts because they have a culture shaping deception over them and they're missing out on the grace and mercy of Jesus. When you try to explain what grace is to someone living here in this city, it's a completely foreign concept. 
David knows when he's writing Psalm 96 that this is not just for him. It's not just for Israel. And so we're actually commanded to declare his glory to places like that, to people like that. Verse 7 says, ascribe to the Lord. And it says it again, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory do his name. And I want to highlight this as well, the splendor of holiness. So ascribe, what does ascribe mean? It means give to him. Give to him all that he is worthy of. Give to him glory and honor and praise. And the interesting thing about this is that David is not asking the people to write this or to, to do this. He is actually commanding it. Ascribe is literally written here in the command word. It's, it's a command. It's an imperative. He's saying, do this. And just to remind you, he's king right here. So can you imagine a king coming in here that rules over us and says, hey, y'all need to worship right now. It'd be kind of intimidating, and hopefully we would worship, right? We'd say, Casey, please get up here. Before anything happens to us, let's worship right now. But David is commanding this. He's not making this optional. And just a quick side thing, splendor of holiness, this actually means that we're clothed to worship. We have an attire of holiness. And as I was meditating on this chapter this, this past week, it struck me there is only one person that can give me clothing that is holy. There is only one who covers me and washes me clean. There's only one that's going to give me a white robe one day, and it is Jesus. So if David's calling us to worship him, if he's calling the nations to worship God in holiness, he's confident that we will be clothed, that our nakedness and our shame will be covered. It's important to know that David is really repeating this from 1 Chronicles 16. And just to give you a little background there, this is where the people of God that have been chosen by God, the Israelites, they're really receiving God's presence. They have the Ark of the Covenant, and they're, they're worshiping God, and they're thanking him that God has chosen them. And this might, again, go towards things that we need to surrender, but, man, this would be the opportune moment for Israel to be all about them. It would be the moment for David to say, look how great we are. God has chosen us. And I, in my flesh, I would probably agree with him. Like, man, God chose you. That's awesome. But instead, he knows the character of God and the purpose of his people. Sing to the Lord. Declare his glory among the nations. And it's fascinating. The name he uses for the Lord throughout this psalm is actually the intimate name that God gave the Israelites. Yahweh. It would be as if my daughter went up and started calling someone else Dada. And then she said, you know what? I want you to come over here. I want you to call my dad Dada. And we're going to invite other people in the room. And you get to call him my personal name that I have for him. David is saying, I want you to call my God by his personal name because that's his character. And we want to invite you in to that. And so as we consider God's glory and his value and his worth, this should affect how we do church. We're called the well Austin, but we don't just exist for Austin. And you see how that could be weird or countercultural. It's like, wait, aren't you a church that cares about the city? We do, and God has called us to the nations. 
because of his character and what he cares about. God's glory is really his, his self-revealed worth, perfection, his infinite value. And so if that seems like a big concept, it is a big concept. And it would take a whole series to walk through that. But essentially, God is revealing his value and his worth. The Lord reigns forever. This is finally what David tells us to do, what we have to practice. He says, the Lord reigns. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. This is why we open our mouths. We're saying, we're speaking, we're singing. We're declaring that the Lord reigns. This is our true God and our righteous king. And I just want to hope that this connects with you. When you say the Lord reigns, when you declare the gospel, you're actually preaching the gospel to yourself. When David is telling his people, go tell the nations that the Lord reigns, he's giving them hope to cling on to when chaos is abounding around them. When he's giving you the opportunity to join in with the multitude and seeing that our God reigns right here this Sunday afternoon. That is an opportunity that people around the world in North Africa would love to have. And you're here declaring the goodness of God in this place. Your worship matters, not just for the people around you, not just for God, but for your own soul. That you're reminding your soul what God has done and who he is. So this is why we go, this is why we send, this is why we have a vision to plant 100 churches. And so wherever we go, we wanna do these things. And if you've been on a short-term trip or been trained, you know these things, but we wanna primarily go and encourage believers that are already there. We don't wanna make this about us. We wanna encourage them and what they're doing and their vision. We wanna share the gospel and evangelize. Yes, we wanna proclaim the good news. We also wanna get vision for our people and for people there. And so this vision, though, comes from Revelation 7, 9, where we're reminded that these people will come from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages, that this matters deeply to the heart of God. And I just want to celebrate for a few minutes as we get ready to wrap up, is that we would actually celebrate as a church that our church, that you, part of you, we are doing this. You're a part of this, whether you realize this or not. When you give, you're a part of what we're about to share. And, and so whatever loud noise you got, anything you can make, I don't know where you came from, what church you grew up in, but if you can make noise, that's a good thing in these, okay? We sent 48 different people to the nations this summer. Six different nations, seven different teams with several thousand gospel conversations. There's multiple people being baptized, and we have three people who have decided to go long-term through the well after this summer. you praise God for that? We saw people go to North Africa, and yes, it's a very, you know, low-quality picture, high-quality people. That's what we'll go with right there. Again, dad selfie. Uh, but man, we got to experience family, not just like biological family, but we got to become families. And that's why we say we don't just send short-term trips, but we send short-term teams because we're still a team and we're doing life even together now. We got to see people go and pray over the nations. And here's some guys in East Asia that are just declaring, the, that's a pretty good view actually, you know? That's not really suffering right there. But man, that's, that's amazing that we're actually taking ground. They're actually praying a place 
uh, where the gospel had not been a known presence for 800 years. And so they're praying that God would take back ground against Satan. And what they did on this trip is they went and they shared the gospel with people and they got contacts of people and gave it to some missionaries in the main city. And they went out and visited them and people are still hearing the gospel. One guy's even practicing language with some of the folks out there. And so we're really on the front front lines there. We visited folks in Brazil, Bob and Martha Robbins, and we sent some elders to, to preach and encourage them. And they hadn't had anybody visit with COVID and everything. And so we got to see that God was on the move with them and really lift them up, encourage them as, as the worship really did. We got to experience language, which if you have ever tried to learn language in other places, it can be extremely difficult. And we got to go share the gospel with guys over tea and see what God was doing. We were humbled uh, to really gain vision for our lives. And as we continue to process things, pray for people that went this summer. Pray as they ask the questions, what does it look like? What does it look like for me to go to the nations? What does it look like to sell my car, do all this stuff, to leave? But man, how do I care for my family? How can I be obedient to what Jesus is calling me to? And so for many, they're counting costs, counting the cost of what it looks like to follow Jesus. You can keep going there. And I've noticed two things that as we counted the cost and as we had conversations with people, and as people took their kids and we, we processed things, what does it look like to go to the nations? This counting the cost of what does it look like to process risk? What does it look like to process how I love my family? But two things I learned from the long-term people there was endurance and joy. Endurance and joy. Much like Paul throughout the Testament, New Testament, they're enduring hardship and they have to endure, and they're enduring with an energy and a strength that is honestly supernatural, that is from God, that he's equipped them through the power of the Holy Spirit for everything that they need. And the other thing is this, this joy is like, there's this humor that marks people that are really mature in their faith. I don't know if you noticed that, but like those old saints, like the white-headed people, we've got a few, maybe one or two, but they really have a good sense of humor. Why? Because they've seen a lot, and you've got to laugh about it. But also these people in the field, they are so filled with this radical joy of Jesus that is just different. And I think of some of these brothers and, and really um, just so encouraged by the faith of some of the people that we got to interact with. And I'm really so grateful for the strategy that they're looking at and how it's about Jesus and not about them. And so here's some brothers that, uh, man, uh, it's kind of a stupid joke and because we don't have time, I'm going to jump it. But... What do you get when you got a Moroccan lawyer, a Korean dentist, and an American pastor? What do they have in common? The gospel. That's it. Okay. And so as we close out, we know that all we have in common is Jesus. And as I look at these brothers, you've got one that was a pastor in New Jersey, has moved to North Africa, one who had a vision at 12 that he should become a lawyer and go to seminary. And they're starting the first churches and first seminary in Moroccan history. And we're a part of that. Because they're going to worship Jesus. And you might be here, you know, processing this. You think, man, I love that our church is about that. But I love these, this quote, and I want to give you the full quote from John Piper. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. 
worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. You might have heard that, and I hate to tell you that, but you got gypped out. That's the short version of the quote. What he really says is this. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their knees, their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. What we do in this room matters. We are practicing for eternity when we worship our King. You might say, I don't feel compelled to go. I don't see it. I don't really care about the nations. What I would say to you first is this. God is worthy to be worshipped. Start there. Don't think about, am I supposed to go on this trip? Am I supposed to do this thing? Am I supposed to support this missionary? What am I supposed to do? Worship Jesus. He'll tell you what to do. You evangelize what you know to be beautiful, though. You talk about... Man, last night we're talking about worthless idols and sacrifices to little puny gods. L.A. Monroe was sacrificed to the Longhorns last night, okay? You got to be honest with yourself. And the same thing is going to happen to Alabama or against Alabama next week. But we talk about these things. I saw so many of you post about tennis this last week. You would not believe. I didn't know you loved tennis. Some of you love tennis. We love Serena. You are such a fan, right? Praise God. But we talk about things that we value, that we find beautiful, that we want to share with the world around us. If you're worshiping Jesus, you will find him beautiful. Seriously, if you're truly worshiping Jesus, you will find him beautiful and you will find him worthy of talking about. And before you know it, you're gonna be sharing him with the nations because you're gonna say, I love this Jesus. I love him. I don't know what to do with this. Who needs to know? And you're gonna go talk about him. And, and I would also say, just taste and see that the Lord is good. If you're in a season where you're like, the last thing I need is a sermon on missions and going and sharing the gospel, number one, you're going to sing a new song one day. And there is hope. But also, just taste and see that he is good and he is worthy of praise. Psalm 96 ends with this. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Praise God that he faithfulness. Praise God that he judges based on his faithfulness and not our faithfulness. That he judges based on his character and not ours. It's hard for us to imagine a righteous judge. It's hard for us to honestly imagine justice because we have not seen justice. He is justice. He is perfect. In fact, we want him to be just. We want him to be perfect because Jesus covers us. And we have that confidence. Man, he is faithful. He is our king. He is creator. And he is judge. Those are all three authority things that we often do not like. But Psalm 96 depicts God in these three different ways. He's our perfect king that rules. And we get to declare to the nations that our God reigns. We get to declare that he is our creator who has made us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And he's our judge that judges in faithfulness. I wanna share two quick stories with you as we wrap up. The first is of a girl named Rania. 
And she was 15 years old when Jesus showed up in her kitchen. And that's my wife, Laura, there. She doesn't wear that every day, just some days. But she's with Rania because they walked up, Norelli and Laura walked up to her at a park with Lucy, our little girl, and they got to share the gospel with her only to find out that Jesus had met her three years earlier. She was having a dream that she was dying in her kitchen and she reached out for help. And this man reached down his hand in her dream and he said, if you take my hand, you will live. If you don't take my hand, you will not live. She took his hand and she's beaming, crying, talking about her love for Jesus. And she's then expressing to us that she's been reading the Bible on her phone for the last three years, does not know a Christian, does not know where she can get baptized, but she's read about this. And she wants to know if there's a church we can take her to. That's a miracle, okay? That they would walk up to her at a park and she would say this, Jesus is already reaching people. And he's inviting us into what he's doing. Norelli and Abigail and Laura, they got to spend time with her and encourage her. Norelli got to stay, read the Bible with her. And now her mom and her families heard her dream and heard her story. And one of the most beautiful moments is Norelli got to give her a Bible in her own language. And she's a part of a community and she's getting baptized. This is an amazing, amazing story of God moving. This is like God reaching the nations. I hope, I hope you're getting that. And the second one is, is a story where David reached out to a guy in a taxi cab. And if you know David Beasley, he can talk to anybody. And we love David. Where's David at? He's over here somewhere. Okay, there you are. So David's talking to a cab driver. David does not speak Arabic, by the way. Okay, so this was a team effort. And he shares the three circles on the back of his phone. This leads to a 45-minute conversation. He finally turns off the, the Uber ride. You know, that's helpful. And then they get to talk. We end up connecting him with a long-term missionary. We end up talking and sharing our testimonies. And David gets to share his testimony and... What happens is by the end of the night, the next day, the man realizes I have to count the costs. I could lose my family and I could die. And as he's counting the cost, it, it washes over us that we're a part of helping reach this man. As a team, imperfect as we are, we get to pray for him, we get to walk with him. And so we get to meet up again and, and process some of these things and have these long conversations and connect him to long-term people and eat some really good food and really good coffee. But the point is that God was already doing something before we ever got there. There's no accident we show up in that taxi. There's no accident that Laura and Lucy and Aureli are walking through a park in North Africa and God's put this 18-year-old girl now right in front of them. God is pursuing people, and he wants to invite you to the same. So if you go to this next one here, skip that for time. Skip it again. <laughs> skip it again. There you go. Yes. This is an adventure, amen? Lucy wants to invite you. Yes, there's no car seats. Please don't send me an email. There are no car seats in that country. And she was having a blast. The man on the right is a dear friend of mine, and he shares the gospel every day, six days a week. That is his full-time job. 
He visits Syrian refugees' homes and shares the gospel with them. And he still has a smile on his face. He's been doing that for about 30 years with different people groups. And so it's amazing to see when you're proclaiming and you're singing and you're declaring the gospel, the joy that God gives. And yes, he's a worship leader as well, worship leader and evangelist. It's great. And so what we're proclaiming the worship to God, you will get invited into this mission. College students, just a shout out. Raise your hand if you're a college student in here. College students, way to go. You have one of the best opportunities to give some of the best years of your life to the nations, to what God is calling you to do. It changed my life. It messed me up forever. It made me that weird guy, and then it made me fall more in love with Jesus. And man, it is so worth it to see what Jesus is doing in the nations. Families, we had four babies go this summer. Nobody's exempt. Like, you can come. You can do this. It's hard. And some of these mamas were rock stars this summer. But man, it is incredible to see your family on mission together. If you're a professional and you're like, I don't know how to leave my corporate job and do this, you can come. We had multiple people surrender either PTO. Some of y'all got that unlimited PTO in Austin. I still don't understand that. But you can come and be a part of what God is doing. And God might call you to use your gifts, your skills, your abilities to actually move and work in the nations for his glory. But on this adventure right here, we're going to a place that, to share the gospel. And I want to sh- show this next picture here as we close out. This is with a man right here who's facing persecution. Um, he's facing persecution because his wife does not know or did not know he was a believer. And now she wants to divorce him because he has chosen to follow Jesus. And this is him preparing a meal for us that we get to eat and enjoy. And then right after this, we did communion together. And this was his third time doing communion. It's his third time breaking bread in this way to remember the blood of Jesus and the body that was broken for him. And when I say there's genuine tears, I have never felt this like this. His wife's literally in the next room and we're saying, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna coach you on how to share the gospel with her. And, and now this has happened, and, and he's saying, but Jesus died for me. Amen. This is good news. And he wants to tell his family, he wants to tell his five children what Jesus has done for him. And so you're invited into doing communion with this brother right here. And as we take communion today, know that this is being shared around the world. There's billions of people that are celebrating what Jesus has done. Revelation 4.11 says this, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Guys, Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our proclamation of the gospel to the nations. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray and ask you specifically right now for those of you that are just hearing about the goodness of God. And you need to really be reminded that one day you will sing a new song in heaven and that things will not be as they are right now. God, I pray that you bring comfort to those people right now. 
Would you remind them of your goodness and how worthy you are, how much you love us, that you sent your only son to die for us, that we might have life. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone in here that wants to start following you, that they would follow you with joy, they would follow you with endurance to run the race that you set before them. That as they worship you and sing your praises, they would fall more in love with you. Jesus, I pray for the well. I pray for unity. I pray for authority in the nations. I pray that you would equip people in this place to be sent to unreach people groups, to plant churches where there are no churches so that you would get the glory and honor and power that you deserve, Jesus. May we remember what you've done on the cross. Would that make any sacrifice that we can make small before the cross? Would you spur us on to worship and to praise you? Would our worship call us to have affection for you in such a way that we can't help but share about your goodness, that we can't help but share about what you've done in our hearts? Would we not feel beaten up or bruised or that we have to serve you, but would we know that we are a part of something so much bigger than us, Jesus, that you invite us in to reaching the nations as a family? that you will be with us to the very end of the age. We love you, Jesus. Amen.